a Ugandan man named Joseph was in charge of inciting mobs to break up gospel meetings. One day, Joseph was on his way to one of these meetings, and a voice told him, Tonight, you're going to get saved. Brother Jack tells the story. His heart started breathing really rapidly. He couldn't, felt like he couldn't breathe. And he just felt like, I'm gonna die unless a Christian prays for me. So he like goes around this rally, starts asking people to pray for him. Well, no one's gonna pray for him. They're all afraid he's like setting them up. Finally, he locks himself in a van that's there. And he said, I'm not leaving this van until someone prays for me. Jesus never promised his followers an easy path. In fact, he told his disciples that the world would hate them. He sent them out as sheep among wolves. Jesus' words came true in the life of the apostles, and they're still coming true today in the lives of his followers around the world. Join host Todd Nettleton as we hear their inspiring stories and learn how we can help, right now on The Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network. Welcome again to The Voice of the Martyrs Radio. My name is Todd Nettleton, and we are back this week with Brother Jack and Brother Sean. They are two workers in VOM's International Ministries Department. They're both active on the continent of Africa. If you were with us last week, you heard Brother Jack and Brother Sean talk about their trip to Nigeria. If you did not hear that, you can go to vomradio.net and listen to that interview again. We talked about their time in Nigeria. The other half of their trip was in the country of Uganda. And so today we're going to talk about their time in Uganda, about what's happening with the church in that nation, a nation that has been thought of for years as a Christian nation, but a nation where Islam is on the rise and persecution is on the rise with it. We're going to talk more about that as we go along today. Jack and Sean, welcome back to Voice of the Martyrs Radio. Thanks, Thank Todd. You. Good to be back. Now, a lot of people think about Uganda as a Christian country, mm-hmm. so it's it's going to be a little shocking to people to hear, wait a minute, there's persecution in Uganda. <laughs> Give Kind of set the table for us as far as what the context is for the church in Uganda. What a lot of people don't realize about Uganda, to kind of give some background on it, uh, during the 70s, there was a dictator named Idi Amin, and he was a Muslim guy, and Uganda's actually had a history of Muslim presidents and Muslim leaders. And uh, Amin went to Libya and actually spent some time with Gaddafi and came back and was very, I guess, inspired might be the word used, to turn uh, Uganda into a a really strict Muslim country. And so he had it put on a list of Muslim countries, had laws put into the constitution that made it favorable to Islam. Some of those laws that still exist there today, even after he was thrown out. So it has it has that history to it, even though it is a majority Christian country, it has that history to it. But there are some areas of Uganda that are very, very highly Muslim percentage uh, areas. It's about 12% as a country, which is actually more than Kenya. Um, even though we do hear a lot about extreme persecution going on in Kenya, we don't hear a lot about it going on in Uganda. But that 12% of Muslims is very concentrated along the borders of Uganda, the eastern border, southwestern border, around along Congo, and then the northern border. So I think what typically, if people had heard of anything in Uganda, probably the Lord's Resistance Army, LRA, Joseph Kony was something that was really known for. But we've done work in Uganda for a while. But when we went on this trip, we really were surprised at the amount of persecution that was going on there. And honestly, we thought maybe it would just be 
where someone becomes a Christian in a Muslim area and their family ostracizes them from, you know, and kind of kicks them out and they're on their own and things like that. But as we traveled to these different areas of Uganda, when we were there on a very quick trip, we went to the eastern area of Uganda. We were very surprised to see the very violent persecution that was taking place there as well. Uh, stoning of Christian rallies. You know, we met with the widow of uh, her husband was an evangelist that had been actually murdered on his way home. So just very violent examples of persecution going on there. We met with a pastor who had been threatened many times to stop evangelizing to Muslims. And um, they told him something would happen to his, to his family if he didn't stop. And he didn't stop. And a group of uh, men actually ended up raping his daughter. Wow. And yeah, so just very extreme examples. And we were able to then meet later on with pastors from the other parts of Uganda and all shared very similar stories of heavy persecution going on in these border areas of Uganda. So you mentioned that the whole country, 12 percent Muslim. Mm-hmm. But in these border regions, it would be what, like 99%? Yeah. So, so the eastern region where we were, I would say it's probably in the 80s. Okay. And then you have southwestern Uganda, which is probably in the 70s. And then you have parts of what they call West Nile, kind of upper Uganda, which um, we heard some pastors talking about that was actually in the 90s. We heard from several that, mm-hmm. you know, the government's even fudging the statistics on this. So they'll, yeah. they'll say it's 70 or 80 mm-hmm. when it's really high 80s or 90s. And and so they're even trying to downplay Mm -hmm. the way Islam's growing within the country. So you have this interesting dynamic within the Ugandan government where there's a bigger and bigger influence of Islam, but then on the outside, they're not wanting to portray that. Right after we arrived, they actually passed uh, Sharia law banking, um, which basically is you can provide 0% interest loans for like Muslim people and Muslim projects like schools you know, moss, things like that. So if I go into the bank and I'm a Christian, I want to make a loan, it's X percent. Mm-hmm. If I go into the bank and I want to make a loan and I'm a Muslim, it's zero percent. Zero percent. In yeah. Uganda, which is, again, would uh, really surprise people. So you're seeing a lot of that. You're seeing a, tons of money coming into these areas from Arab countries, investing tons of money. And that's been happening since the 70s. Um, we talked to several pastors. That's how Islam first started. Mm-hmm businessmen would come in and say, I'm going to give a thousand jobs. I'm going to start this factory. I'm going to give a thousand jobs. But everyone I hire has to be a Muslim. And that's how it started. Most schools in these areas are Muslim schools, hardly any Christian schools, very few secular schools. So yeah, so and most people that go to Uganda don't make it to these areas. So I think that's why it would be kind of shocking to see. I know one of the people that you met was a persecutor, who's now being threatened because of his Christian faith. Yeah. Talk about his story and just the amazing work that God has done in him and is now doing through him. Yeah. Well, we'll just we'll call him Joseph. Yeah. He actually studied media and things like that and joined a division of the Islamic Church there called the Dawah, which the Dawah is basically Muslim propaganda is the best way to put it. They're in charge of promoting the message of Islam publicly to everyone. Yeah. To everyone. Yeah. They're, you know, they're the media relations guys for Islam. And again, I would say propaganda for the things they say and the things, especially they're telling Christians in Uganda, like, Hey, we're the same as you. You know, they, the Dawah refer to their mosque as Muslim churches. 
they, you know, they refer to the Quran as the Muslim Bible because they know that's it. That's the language makes of the it people. more yeah. makes them more appealing to the people. It doesn't come off as the scary kind of Islam they see or they picture. And so, oh, the, you know, these guys are just like us. Then he had this whole other side of that job, part of it making it more appealing. And then he had a whole other side of that job, which was to basically organize these mobs against Christian activities Mm -hmm. in Eastern Uganda, which we heard stories over and over. How many pastors told us about they had tried to do a rally or like, you know, revival might be a good term in the U.S. to use. And then groups would a mob would come in with stones and clubs and basically make it impossible. I mean, make it impossible to have a Christian meeting. So that's kind of the two sides we see of Islam. And, you know, I think we'll talk about later in Africa. But there was a rally at this town they knew of, like a Christian rally or Christian crusade. We were saying, so he got a group together like he had done several times before, said, hey, we're going to go break it up. As soon as he gets there, he hears a voice and it says, you go and get saved. And it was so prominent to him. The voice was just like someone speaking to him that he kind of freaked out. I mean, really, I mean, he didn't use that term, but his heart started breathing really rapidly. He couldn't, felt like he couldn't breathe. And he just felt like I'm going to die unless a Christian prays for me. Like that's that's what he thought. Like I'm going to die unless a Christian prays for me. So he like goes around this rally, starts asking people to pray for him. Well, no one's going to pray for him. They're all afraid he's like setting them up. This is the guy who came to break up the rally. Yeah. You know, with the clubs and stones, and now he's saying, "Hey, I want you to pray for." Yeah, me. so they think, okay, well, he's he's just you know setting us up so when we pray for him, that that's gonna be the signal for the basically the mob to come in and be even more violent. People refuse to pray for him, so finally he locks himself in a van that's there, and he said, "I'm not leaving this van until someone prays for me." So finally, a pastor comes. Because they thought he's going to blow himself. Yes, up, didn't they? yes, the, yeah, should we yeah. Open the door of the van. Or <laughs> yeah, should we yeah. Get away from so the van. So this pastor comes up and finally he's like, "I'm going to go in there." And they're they're telling him, "Pastor, you're going to die if you open if you go up to that door of the van." And he, and he says, "If I die, I die. I go to heaven. But if this guy really is seeking Christ, and we don't help him, how can we live?" You know, Joseph remembered that quote so vividly. And so the pastor goes in and prays for him, and Joseph accepts Christ right there. He actually went home, told his family what happened, and then said, I got to go learn what it means to be a Christian. And so he went and lived at that pastor's church for three months. The community there, the Muslim community, had burnt down his house. His wife had left him. Um, Luckily, he was able to maintain custody of his two children. But, I mean, his life completely changed. so he basically cost him his life. It cost him his Every, life. The Everything. life he had before was gone. It was mm-hmm. gone. And it just put this huge passion in him to reach Muslims for Christ. And just talking about that really just to reach their hearts. And so he started training with the pastor, a bishop, mm-hmm. who's a MBB in Uganda and takes a lot of these guys in. From these, the Anglican Church. From, and, and, uh-huh. and so if our listeners don't know, that, yeah. the Anglican Church is the main church mm-hmm. in Uganda, which is yeah. a very evangelical group operating there. Yeah, so. very evangelical. And there's a bishop in the in the Anglican church who used to be a Muslim and was actually a victim of an acid attack in Uganda. A guy was waiting for him outside church and threw acid on him, and we helped him with his medical expenses and things like that, but still very scarred from that. And But this bishop brings in people like Joseph who have a heart to evangelize the Muslim and basically trains them on how to do that and uh, disciples them on how to do that. So he did that, and he just started 
going around these churches in place in Eastern Uganda, really preaching to Muslims, but also empowering churches on how to minister to Muslims. You know, you talked about the Anglican Church and the fact mm-hmm. that they're doing this. What is the posture of the the church in Uganda towards the growth of Islam? Well, I, I think that's changing in some ways. I think there are some who they recognize what's what's going on. They they see that the church is losing ground, and we've we were very encouraged that the response to that mm-hmm. was, we need to understand Islam, mm-hmm. and we need to understand how to share the gospel. And mm-hmm. they're looking to guys like Joseph to, hey, come teach us mm-hmm. how do how do we be better apologists for the Christian faith, and how do we be mm-hmm. better evangelists in a Muslim context? And so that was really really encouraging. Yeah, there are some I think who are still. Like we said, even even this brother Joseph, his job used to be to blur the lines, right? And there right. are still pastors in Uganda who are like think Islam is mm-hmm. compatible with Christianity in some way, or it's just another, you know, it's a Judeo-Christian Islamic yeah. faith, you yeah. know. And 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 so the pastors also see the need. We have to teach our congregations. We have to teach pastors maybe who are in a village context that just haven't had the education mm-hmm. that they need. But it, it's really, I, I see the church coming together and go, we've, we've got a problem, but mm-hmm. we're going to try to figure out how to address that problem. And we're going to have to meet that on multiple fronts through evangelism, through training, through apologetics, mm-hmm. and really looking for someone to come alongside them. And that's, I, I think the real kind of interesting takeaway from this trip was all across Africa, we're seeing Islam growing. And there are countries like Uganda where the gospel has gone in, and we have what we would call now, or some people are calling a Christian nation, but missions in Uganda took a long time, and, and we maybe have a 150 years of missionary activity, but that may be lost in 20 years yeah. if somebody doesn't do something about yeah. it. And, and a lot of those long-term mission orgs have moved on to frontier areas, mm-hmm. and Uganda's not really a frontier mm-hmm. area anymore. So there's not a lot of Western support, long-term support of helping or standing yeah. with the church. As VOM, that's who we are. We mm-hmm. stand with mm-hmm. the church. We stand with the local body. We we do that in pioneer areas, but we do that wherever the yeah. gospel is under attack mm-hmm. and where there's persecution. And so it, it was just really encouraging to be able to come along and say, hey, we, we are here. We are going to stand mm-hmm. with you. Islam in Uganda has grown 7% in three years since we've been there. So it's growing and we're seeing that all over sub-Saharan Africa and sub-Saharan Africa really is at war right now at war for the, for the hearts of the people, you know, and Islam is investing in that war. How Christianity won Africa is how Islam's taken back. They're providing free education. You know, they're providing healthcare, they're providing things like that. And so, you know, those type of missions in a Western context I'm gonna say a word that we can blur it off when you do. Aren't they're not sexy anymore to, to you know to to a lot of like. There's no glamour in that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like in in and in some ways it's good. Like there have been harmful effects of the way that we did missions, but then at the same time, there's a necessity to go back to that. To right. go back to empowering the church. To go back to having schools and hospitals and Christian education and and things like that. You know. That's well, a huge... and that's one thing that Joseph is doing, right, is mm-hmm. is he started a school. Yeah, so Joseph basically saw that. There's no schools for these kids, especially when a Muslim family becomes Christian. They're no longer welcomed at the school. And in these areas of Uganda, 
that's your only option. So right. the family's not only giving up their maybe current job, their current status, they're sacrificing their children's future too to become a believer. And so he basically felt led to start this school basically to serve as a school for the children of persecuted Christians, for the children of MBBs that have accepted Christ and their kids need a place to go to school for the future of their families, especially in Africa where it's so community where the kids one day are going to take care of you. You know, there is no nursing home. <laughs> you know, you're there. Uh, however, you know, that's the future of the family and the, your future. And uh, so he started this school and it's half for children of persecuted Christian, half for local students. But what he does basically is use the school fees from the local students to pay the school fees for the children of persecuted Christians. So they're not paying anything at all. And he also uses it not just as a way to provide Christian education for them, but also to teach them how to evangelize to Muslims in their own communities. That's the part I love. Yeah, part which, of the curriculum is reaching mm-hmm. out to Muslims yeah. and evangelizing we, them. We're sitting there talking with Joseph, and we see the mission of the school up on the wall, uh, you know, written just yeah. on paper, you know, pink paper. But it has in there things I'm like— is that did he grab that from VOM? Yeah, like it was, it was, <laughs> I think like ten of his core values, yeah. like persecution was in maybe uh-huh. seven Preparing of them. Preparing for yeah. persecution, yeah. 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 reaching Muslims, reaching uh-huh. the persecutors. Yeah. yeah. So it's just an awesome vision and something that, you know, is just really cool to see. And it is cool in Uganda and you see the benefit of a ch- of you know, like the Anglican Church being evangelistic. And they're, so they're all over Uganda. So the Anglican Church in Kampala is hearing what's going on in these areas. Mm-hmm. So that's, you know, one of the advantages of operating through them and empowering and them. And they're seeing Uganda. success. I mean, yeah. one, of the, one of the things I loved was one of the pastors who had been trained in, mm-hmm. in, in apologetics and mm-hmm. evangelism, you know, and they said, you know, the Muslims came to our area and thought we were kind of going to be an easy target. And now we're converting them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Sean said it right. I think the war that we're talking about in Sub-Saharan Africa is completely dependent on the local church and local pastors. How are they empowered? Are they able to continue doing what they're doing? Then then they're the front lines of that. And I was just amazed to see pastors both in Nigeria, where you have this heavy, heavy Boko Haram and all this persecution, and Uganda, where you're starting to see that. But just the strength of these pastors. And, yeah. you know, like the pastor I spoke about whose daughter had been raped— you know, we were able to distribute a motorbike to him. And he's so filled with joy getting this yeah. motorbike. And like he's crying and he's, you know, he's hugging us and he's hugging our leader there in Uganda. And I I was thinking about that. He's so happy to receive a tool to go out and do more efficiently the thing that got his daughter raped. But yeah. he's so happy to be able to go out and share Christ better. Now, now because I can go a, to more villages. Yes, now <laughs> I can share even, yeah, more places. I can get more threats. Yeah, and he was so overjoyed with that. I'm so humbled to be around those guys. And it's just, it's a huge thing that VOM wants to stand with these guys. You know, when I did was on the field doing missions and I was doing something, it's convicted me because I don't think I empowered the local church enough when I was out there doing it. Mm. And so... It's not always the most unique thing in the world. It's not always what people are like, man, that's a really unique idea to do in Africa. But it's the most important thing we can do. Right. You know. Well, and I know you guys got some nice compliments from the pastors of how much they appreciate mm-hmm. the way that VOM ministers, the way mm-hmm. that we say, you know, we don't come in with the recipe and say, okay, here's what you have to do and then we'll help you. We say, hey, what are you doing? We want to help you. Mm-hmm. How can we help? Mm-hmm. Talk a little bit about 
how they respond to that and how they thanked us for our involvement. And I forget some of the exact quotes, but we there was just some great conversation on that. Where it just makes your heart smile because that's who you are. That's and what they're, we they're using do. our terminology, yeah. but saying it in their own language where the appreciation that we are not coming in and we're, you know, we're not the ones who are bringing in our, our, our own ideas. Like you listen to us mm-hmm. and you, you, you try to meet us where we're at and what we mm-hmm. need and the, and the things that we're asking for. Mm-hmm. I don't know, Jad, do you remember some of this specific Yeah, quotes? not coming in with our own intentions yeah. is I think what, you know, yeah. someone said. Yeah, and but, in, a, in a place like Africa where there has been colonialism and there, you know, there, everybody has an idea for Africa. Mm-hmm. It can uh, be a missions playground. It, it can of. be. And mm-hmm. it, but it's great to come in and, and for those pastors to feel that and to feel that we're we're partners in the gospel. Mm-hmm. We're servants of the persecuted church and we're servants of them. We're not coming with our own agenda, but we're asking, what, what do you guys need? How can we stand with you? It's about them and, mm-hmm. and empowering them. And we, yeah. we don't want to come in. We don't want to create dependency. We don't, we don't think yeah. we're the solution to the problem. But we do know that we are one body and there's mm-hmm. a lot of things that we could do that would be very helpful to them in this massive spiritual mm-hmm. struggle against Islam. And it is, it's, and, it's flaring up and, everywhere. And that's across the thing. The when you take Rachel, like from Nigeria, we talked about last week, yeah. we can help and do things. And, and that's, and that's great. And that's what we want to do. We want to continue to always respond to persecution. And that's who we're about at VOM. Yeah. And then also, like we just said, we want to empower those guys that are going to continue to respond to them spiritually. Right. Yeah. And, Every week. And that what I always like sitting with them too is because I tell these guys all the time, how can you guys pray for me? Like, you know, because yeah. yeah. I don't, you know, these guys that I'm constantly, and that's a lot of people that I've met on the field with VOM is this, I often ask, can you pray for me? Because I'm humbled to be around them yeah. and to be able to meet with them. I want to ask you a question for the American church, because mm-hmm. I hear about Uganda, here's this mm-hmm. Christian nation, and now there's this battle mm-hmm. going on. I think you could say that about America too. Yeah. yeah. Here's this Christian nation, and now yeah. there's this battle going on for the soul of the country. Mm-hmm. What did you bring home from our brothers and sisters in Uganda that maybe our American brothers and sisters need to hear or need to think about as we're in the midst of a battle right here? They're, they're not in any kind of defeatist mentality, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And, and and we, we haven't seen persecution like they've seen yet, but it's, like I say, they— they're training. Mm-hmm. They're they're evangelizing. They're they're looking at what remains. They're strengthening it. They're fortifying it. And then once they're that strengthened, let's go on the offensive. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's that's what you see there. And I think sometimes in, in America, I feel like we've given up, or there's a defeatist mentality, or uh, let's just go hide until Jesus comes back. And there's not this. Okay, we've 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 lost some ground, right? But let's let's strengthen what remains. And uh, let's trust the Lord, and then let's let's get on the offensive. Yeah, uh, when, and I, yeah, I think ahead. what we we can take that to America because it's not just you know in America we're not just at war against uh, Islam coming into America. We're at war against the idea of the American dream, mater- materialism, those things like yeah. that. You know, and that's and I think in America a lot of times as Christians, like Sean said, we've given up or. Well, let's just we want to do it through politics now. So, you know, yeah. we're we're done trying to win the hearts of other people. We're just so, you know, with these people over here, we're over here. And, you know, let's just let the government set policy that's maybe more favorable to us as Christians rather than saying, no, let's go out. Let's change hearts. We've been talking today on Voice of the Martyrs Radio with Brother Jack and Brother Sean. They are just back from the country of Uganda. 
If you missed our conversation last week about their time in Nigeria, you'll want to go to vomradio.net and listen to that. Again, that website is vomradio.net. Last week was about Nigeria, this week about Uganda. I hope you will pray for both of those nations. Uh, and as we mentioned, especially for the pastors in these countries, these mm-hmm. are people who are leading, sacrificially answering the call of God, often in very dangerous or very uncomfortable places. So pray for them, and uh, I hope that also jogs your memory to pray for your pastor, (laughs) uh, whoever that is, because they also are answering God's call, and sometimes it's uncomfortable for them as well. So bless you. Thank you for being with us this week. Thanks, Todd. Hey, have you ever considered adoption? I'm not talking about adopting a child, as important as that is, but God might be calling you to adopt a country. Next week, we're going to find out how you can do that through your prayers. You won't want to miss that, so be back with us right here on The Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network.